Since the day that we began talking about planting this place called Restore, I have been spending a a lot of time thinking and meditating on the parable that Cheryl just read, the parable of the seed and the sower. It's obviously a very important story in the Bible because it's repeated on three different occasions. You can find it in Matthew, you can find it in Mark, and you can also find it in Luke. Uh, John, who is in such a hurry to get to other things, kind of skips over it. Now, understand this. Context is all important when we study this parable. And by the way, parable is kind of an odd word. A parable is a parabole, which means to lay two things alongside each other to make a comparison. Uh, when I grew up in a Lutheran grade school, I was taught that the meaning of a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I kind of like that. And uh, context, though, here is, is very important. It stands first in a list of seven stories that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. In verse 1 that Cheryl read before, um, gave these parables. He said he gave these parables on that same day. Now, this is where you have to stop and ask yourself a question. Uh, what day was that? I mean, is this day important? Well, it is. So what you really have to do, if you had your Bible, would be back up just one chapter to Matthew chapter 12. And you're going to see it happen on the same day that Jewish leaders accused Jesus of doing miracles by the power of the devil. Now, Jesus then turned and pronounced judgment on them for accusing him of that. Uh, he pronounced judgment on, a, he said, on a whole wicked and adulterous generation. He said they die as they say, the die as they say has now been cast. Religious leaders had made their choice. They thought Jesus was a devil follower. And they will now do whatever they can do to get rid of Jesus. So this story is placed first then in Matthew 13 because it reveals something crucial about the response to Jesus' message. So after this public controversy that starts now in Matthew 12, when they accuse Jesus of doing miracles by the power of the devil, one logical question might be, If you really are who you say you are, Jesus, why doesn't everybody believe? And why do the religious people of that day reject Jesus and his message? Now, we could probably ask the same question today. For example, uh, why does a wife believe and her husband does not? Or why does one brother become a missionary and another one becomes a pornographer? Or why do two children that are raised in the same family end up with completely different values? Or how is it that the same word of God produces such differing results in human hearts? Now, I tell you, I've been studying this for a long time, and I suddenly realized that I I can keep track of the sermons I preached on this. And when I look back, I have preached on this text about a dozen times. And so, I, and then I got to think about every message I've ever heard on this text or preached on this text spends a lot of time just talking about the four soils. I thought, okay, I'm done with the four soils. <laughs> Let's shove that to the side. I, I want to deal with something different. I want us to look at this parable in terms of what it teaches us, the restorites, if there is such a word, um, doing mission and ministry here in this place. 
And I'm going to take you through eight principles. Just to, It's kind of a reminder of who we are and why we do what we do and, and, and what to expect as we sow this seed in this community. So here's the first principle. We need to build our ministry on the word of God. Now, Jesus tells us very plainly, the seed is that word of God. It's the only thing that has the power to change the hearts of men. I mean, I can wish people would be better. I can hope people would be better. But until the word of God comes on them, there's not much hope that they're going to bring about a change. I can be real honest with you. Preaching isn't going to do it. Because a lot of people, they see a guy up in front and it says, Pastor, they go, well, he's just going to give us that same old mumbo jumbo we heard last week. So preaching isn't going to necessarily create a new heart. Our words really don't have any power in and of themselves. Uh, programs aren't going to do it. In a lot of churches, they really want a whole lot of programs. We need a whole bunch of programs. In fact, the contemporary American church is pretty much programmed up to its eyeballs. Now, when I first was a pastor, I was relatively close to Willow Creek Church. And Willow Creek was pastored by a guy by the name of Bill Hybels, and they were really big in leadership training. So I thought, well, I'd like to learn more about how to grow a big church of 10 or 12, 15,000 people, because my church only had 1,800 when I got there. And I heard a guy talk about how to build a church. And he said, the church ought to be a social center for the congregation. And he said, programs um, will help. And he said, I have a whole bunch of programs I want to share that will help you get all kinds of people into your church. Now, Jeff probably already knows what I was thinking at the time when I heard we're going to get all these people into our church. I thought to myself, huh, silly me. I kind of thought that you only gathered in a building on a Sunday morning uh, to be discipled to get out of this place. Rather than a benediction, we should have a get out of here now. <laughs> okay, you've heard the word of God today. Go take it to somebody. Don't just leave it here and go about your daily business. But, and there's always a but, it's possible to mistake busyness for godliness. It's possible to mistake activity for spirituality. And the only thing that actually produces anything is the word of God. Uh, preaching in programs without the word well, it might get you a little quick growth, won't last. What we continue to need here on a Sunday morning is word-centered discipleship ministry that really forces people back out of this building to do what it is they were called to do. Now, I don't want to be too critical of pastors because I are one for a long time. But pastors who preach about everything except what God has actually said, rob their people of the one thing that they desperately need, and that's the power of the life-changing word of God. And here's what I mean. I think we need to be a student of trends. We kind of need to know what's going on in our community. We need to study our culture. We need to learn from what other people are doing. In fact, this last week, Pastor Mark, Jeff, myself, met with another pastor who's just maybe not even a mile down the road, and ask him since he's been here for a while, what's going on here? What can we possibly learn from you? Where is the powerful word of God making an entry point in this community? So we don't want to reject that kind of stuff out of hand. But, and here's another but, I have a whole lot of buts in this message today. 
Above all, we can never substitute a trend or a fad or the hottest new thing uh, for the simple, systematic teaching of God's word. That's called discipleship. Without the word, our church may grow, but it might not produce fruit that lasts. Here's the second point. Good ministry produces differing and unpredictable results in the hearers. That's kind of the central teaching of this whole parable. Remember, there, there's nothing wrong with the seed we got. Nothing wrong. This is really great seed. The same seed that the birds eat is the same seed that caused a good crop. It's that same seed that created a plant that withered when the heat got on it. It's the same seed that grew and then a bunch of other stuff choked it out. So good ministry can't be defined solely in terms of visible results. And sometimes we're just not going to see the visible results. We're going to plant it. We may never see it. I'll give you an example of how this works. Uh, actually, I don't remember how long ago this was. I was in Nigeria, in Lagos, and then in Port Harcourt, where I was actually privileged and scared to death because I got to preach one night at the Million Man Crusade. And uh, they didn't have a million guys that night, but they had 300,000 each day. So imagine a white guy standing in front of 300,000 black people wondering what on earth he has to say to them. Well, during this time, we also did a pastor's conference. And I had a young man in that conference who who, uh, came up to me and told me an interesting story. He said, in my early years as a pastor, I was an evangelist. And I did evangelism in one particular Nigerian tribal group. And he said, hundreds, if not thousands of people were saved by the word of God. And I went, wow. And he said, but, and there is a but. He said, then I was transferred to a primarily Muslim part of Nigeria, where I was for almost a dozen years. And I don't know that I could name five people that I felt were touched by the word of God. Now, the question is, did this guy suddenly become ineffective? I don't think so. But the field was a whole lot harder because he was preaching in a stronghold where Muslims rejected him. See, good ministry is a lot like that. I kind of learned that in my life. See, a man may see huge results in one church, and the next church is like, eh. One tribe is open to the gospel. The other one, a little bit hard. One city welcomes missionaries. Guess what? Some cities send them out of town. And so it is all the way around the world today. Today, there are many places in the world where the word is open, where the door is open. And in many ways, opposition continues to rise. You see it in India. You see it in China. You see it in the Ukraine. It's all around the world. So is it that you don't know in advance how your ministry will be received? See, past success can actually be a good indicator, but it's not a guarantee. Our job, not just my job, I'm talking collectively, our, all of you who are here this morning, all y'all, as they would say down in Texas, all y'all's job is to sow the seed, but you need to be realistic and don't be a bunch of starry-eyed dreamers. That may sound a little bit harsh. Some seed that you will plant will fall on hard ground. Some will fall on stony ground. Some will fall on thorny ground. And some are going to fall on great ground. But you can never know in advance of where it's going to fall. See, good ministry of the word uh, produces differing results. And that happens in every church and in every ministry. 
So Jesus tells us this parable today, so we won't be surprised, so we won't be discouraged if things don't go quite the way we kind of hoped it would go. Now, I could back off and if you'd say to me, well, Barry, what did you expect this to do when you got out here? My answer is two words, messy ministry. I've always thought that from the very beginning. This is not shooting fish in a barrel. And every week it's been a problem. This is what, six weeks we've been here now? Every week something has changed. Even part of the people who show up has kind of changed. We've still kind of walking on baby steps every once in a while trying to figure out how to keep partitions from falling down when the heat comes on. <laughs> we're, we're still trying to figure out how we could actually be live streaming. Uh, we had a while to figure out how, the, how our sound system would work. We had to, we're a work in progress. So don't be surprised if it doesn't just boom and suddenly we have 300 people here and have to go rent a new space. Here's the third point I'd give you, is don't be misled by early success. i got to tell you, the first week when we have 35 people here, I went, whoa, now here we go. Next week, what do we have? 24. And then when we had 15. And then all of a sudden, we went back up to 25. Hold it, where's the success, Lord? I thought we were planting seeds. Well, don't be discouraged or be misled. A good friend of mine told me a long time ago that when a new pastor comes to a church, typically attendance jumps up because they want to get an idea what the new guy is like. And then it'll, it'll kind of plateau for a while, and then we'll just have kind of gradual growth after a point. And that's because a new pastor sometimes brings a new perspective. He's got some new excitement, uh, new energy. And so it's not unusual for people to actually show up to church to do what? Check out the guy in the pulpit. They also check out some other things. I learned this a long time ago. People start making up their minds from the moment they see your church, whether they will ever come back again. They'll make up their mind in the first 10 minutes they see it. Imagine that, driving up here from that direction or that direction. In the first 10 minutes they see, hold it, they're in that building. (laughs) They're going to start making up their mind. They're going to walk into this door And the next thing they're going to do is say, do these people look like they like each other? And will they like me too? I'm just telling you, like the people that are here today, but don't get in your holy little huddles after church. If there's somebody here you don't know, and I'm talking to myself too, go and make those people feel as loved as that person you've been yammering with all morning over a cookie and a cup of coffee. See, we can be easily excited over a little bit of bump in the ministry, you know, like this is easy stuff. But I think it's it's kind of fascinating to me if you study this parable. Jesus spends the longest portion of his time dealing with seed that fell on the stony ground. He spends three verses. The other one's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, oh, stony ground. Huh? Now, remember, it sprang up quickly, early success. They were going to have a bumper crop, but suddenly weeds got involved and it wasn't there. Now, I was raised by farmers. My grandpa was a farmer. Uh, He taught me a lot about farming and gardening, none of which I do today and never did in the past. But he taught me a lot because he wanted me, I don't know if he wanted to take over the farm, but a tornado blew it away. Uh, So there's always a long period of time between planting and harvesting. So don't be misled by early success. I mean, think of it this way. Three of the four soils responded, boom, just like that. 
but only one of them went on. So here's number four. Don't despair because of early difficulties. I have to remind myself that every once in a while, you know, because pastors, let's be honest, pastors like to see their churches grow. It would be really nice if we went from 35 to 55 to 75 to 105 to 3,000. No, I don't think we got that high. But um, we just need to remind, remind ourselves that uh, sometimes it, the road gets a little bit rough. Good soil can be hard to find. There's a lot of soil in this one square mile we're right smack dab in the middle of. But we've got to find that soil. See, God can do a lot with a little. I mean, he, he changed the entire world with 12 guys, 12 apostles. See, that's the encouraging news. A few seeds sown in good soil can revolutionize not only a fellowship like this. It can change a town like Hollister. It could change the school across the street. It could change the whole Branson-Hollister area. It could change Missouri. It could change the world. Who knows? Here's number five. Your initial judgment of people will often be wrong. That's going to be kind of, that's a tough thing to think about. The truth cuts both ways. You can't tell by looking at people what kind of a heart that person has. That is, you can't infallibly know who's going to respond to this ministry of the word and produce good fruit that Jesus talks about in this parable. I spent about 10 minutes after teaching Bible class at First Baptist this last Tuesday. Yes, I are a Lutheran teaching at a Baptist church. Uh, so get over it already. <laughs> a guy who uh, suffers from PTSD and is on meth and uh, invited him to come today. Been interesting if he would have showed up today. Another Anthony. Well, not like our Anthony, but his name was the same. And... Um, I think when he announced basically who he was and what kind of person he was in Bible class, uh, I was teaching that day and I noticed he was sitting this way from me. I could look at the other people in the Bible class, and I'm not making a judgment on these people in the Bible class because we're all the same. They kind of went. And a few of them looked at each other and went like that. That's our judgment sometimes. And sometimes our initial judgment of people can be all wrong. And it cuts both ways. You, you cannot look at a person and, and see the heart that these people have. So you can't infallibly know who's going to respond to your ministry and people who are going to reject your ministry. Because that seed is sown in so many different places. It's going to finally find its place in hearts that are willing to receive it. So you just can't tell. And guess what? Some of the most unlikely people will become mature believers. We just need to let the word, I mean, get out there and keep sowing the seed, sowing the seed, sowing the seed, let the seed do its work. Here's number six. Sow widely because you really don't know where the good soil is. Would, be, would it be really neat if we had a helicopter, Jesse, we had a helicopter around here? And we could just fly with this one, one square mile area, just drop seed all over the place, drop Bibles all over the place. See, the farmer in this field, it says, was broadcasting his seed. He carried it in a pouch that slung over his shoulder. How many of you ever seen in Nebraska State Capitol? My wife and I. Oh, what do you know? Where's Nebraska? Oh, yeah, where is Nebraska? It's where the good life is, Jeff. Go Big Red. That's where I grew up. If you ever see the Nebraska State Capitol, which my grandpa actually helped do a little building on, on the top of the Capitol building, on the dome, is a sower with that bag around it, and he is... Sowing the seed. 
He's just whipping it out there and throwing it as far as he possibly can. He knows that a certain amount of that seed is going to fall on the beaten path where it's not going to take root. I mean, he knows where the stones are and where the thorns are, but he can't see them because they're under the surface. So he doesn't know where the good soil really is that produces that lasting fruit, but it doesn't deter him. He keeps on tossing the seed out. And so it is, it's in his best interest to sow it as widely as possible. And the same is true in ministry. The same will be true of us, friends. I mean, the best way to reach more people is to sow the seed in a variety of ways. I know we're getting people who follow us on Facebook. They're out there, they're looking. I know that there are people who are listening to these messages that get recorded and put on our Facebook page and on my sermon page. I know they're out there. There are people who are finding out. They haven't made a decision yet. They haven't showed up yet. But you keep on sowing wherever you can because you just don't know quite what it's going to do. But when you find good soil, you start cultivating it. That's number seven. See, Jesus spoke to the masses. And uh, though he had time for individuals, but he gave the majority of his time to training a small group. Now, he had a smaller group than we have here. But uh, what are you going to do as a pastor or so-called leader of this place? Well, I hope to disciple you every week to kind of push you and prod you and (laughs) encourage you in a variety of ways to take that word out. To kind of pour yourself out into the lives of some people to encourage them to do more than maybe they ever thought before. Now, I don't think I could ever improve on Jesus' plan for reaching the world. I mean, he preached to the masses. He ministered to individuals. Now, I told you, I preached to 300,000 people at Port Harcourt, Nigeria. I didn't meet a single one of those people. (laughs) I preached to about 2,000 people in one place and met one Russian soldier who seemed made a difference in his life. You can never tell. See, a small group of 12 people, which eventually became 11 after Jesus or Judas bailed out, was really his focus. And when he returned to heaven, the foundation of his church, he built the Christian church as we know it today just through 12 apostles. And that's, I always figure that's my role as a pastor, uh, to find a group of key men and women. It started with a bunch of guys called the Grind Guys. And then it became the Restore Corps. And the Restore Corps keeps getting bigger and bigger. And now you're the Restore Crew. Y'all, here you are. And you begin to invest in that. You challenge people. You cry with people. You laugh with people. You listen to people. You pray with people. And you just say, keep doing what we're doing. And there's only one thing wrong with this plan. It takes a long time. And it ain't easy. This is not a quick rewards program. If this church had doubled and tripled and quadrupled and whatever the next word is, quintupled and sextupled and septupled over six or seven weeks, I would be the first most shocked by it. See, the best ministry that we will ever do is going to be called Life on Life. Life on Life. It's where you get a chance to talk to somebody who doesn't really understand who Jesus is and what it could mean for their life. See, God farms the, uh, I think we're up to number eight now. Without prayer, your ministry, your mission and ministry cannot be effective. See, we do the sowing. The seed does the work. But it needs a receptive heart. So what does the farmer do with the unproductive soil? He plows it up. We may have to do a little plowing. 
a little bit of disking. We need to go into places and just really stir everybody up and they wonder, what the heck is wrong with those people from Restore? Well, it might be just enough to get some seeds planted in that rough soil. See, Jeremiah 4.3 says, Break up the fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Or Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now imagine that. How many people would like to have a new heart? Yeah, you know, our grandson was in the hospital for, what, four or five days. An infection of his heart coupled with COVID. 34-year-old young man talking about congestive heart failure. Would Josh like a new heart? Yeah, he would like that. His grandma decided to follow suit. <laughs> Spent a few days a couple of weeks ago. Heart was beating, thumping really fast. All of us would probably like to have a new heart in some way. And what does the farmer do with unproductive soil, things that really don't work? Well, he plows it up, he throws out the rocks, he pulls up the weeds, waters the ground, pours it and plants it again and again and again. See, God's promise is always to do that. And then the parable that Jesus told takes us into kind of the realm of what I would call enormous spiritual promise. See, the farmer cannot transform rocky soil into good soil. Anybody ever been to Galilee? I have not, but if you go to Galilee, you see a lot of hillsides, and they're just full of rocks. It kind of reminds you of where? Taney County. County. (laughs) I mean, not a lot of people gardening, a lot of people not doing a lot of farming, because you dig down about, oh, about that far, (laughs) and they're rocks. You never get rid of all of the rocks, but you can get rid of some of them. And this is why the final word in ministry belongs to the Lord and not to us. We're not going to get rid of all these rocks. After all, we're the ones, uh, we're, at one time or another, all of us were like the seeds that were just tossed out on the path. But somehow God in our lives intervened. He removed that heart of stone that we may have had, gave us a heart of flesh. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He gave us really a, a, a brand new heart. And if God can do that for us, he can do it for anybody. Now, I keep a lot of different things in a, in a little file that kind of means something to me. And um, I pulled out this last week a handwritten letter from a young man I met at Angola Prison. If you know about Angola, it's the largest maximum security prison in America down Louisiana. And I've been teaching down there for about, I don't know, 20, 25 years. I want to read you this young man's letter. He says, Doc, I don't know if you remember me. I was in your teaching, sitting in the back row, not knowing why I was even at that call out. Somebody must have signed my name. I need your prayers. I am a 34-year-old black man who was born again at the age of 18. I have since fallen back into the ways of the world and am now suffering greatly as a consequence of my foolish choices. Like that prodigal son you talked about and teached about, I have trashed the inheritance I received from my father and am now turning back to him empty and ruined. Please pray that the father in his mercy may restore to me that joy of his salvation you was talking about so that I will have a new spirit renewed within me. Now, I suppose there are a lot of people in that guy's life over the years who knew this young man and thought he would never, ever change. In fact, that's what a lot of people think when people go to prison. You know, once a bum, always a bum. Once a crook, always a crook. 
But this young man's life was changed just through the teaching of a simple story like the prodigal son. Now, some of you may have prodigal children. I don't know, a prodigal son or daughter in your life at this moment. And maybe it seems like they could, they could never change and return to the Lord. But with God, what does Scripture say? All things are possible. That's why we keep on sowing. That's why we keep on watering. That's why we keep on praying and keep on waiting. Because we believe that God can do things way beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. See, this parable is only teaching us a little bit something about patience. Have patience. God is at work. May not be on our schedule, but he's still working. It's a parable of hope because we know if we sow the seed, some of it's going to come back and grow. We need patience because the fruit is there. And this is why we preach. This is why we pray. This is why we keep sowing. And if we keep on sowing the word, the harvest is going to come. Now, some of you may have thought, well, that's all very interesting, but I would really like to know more about the soil. Well, sit back and enjoy this video.